welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. We're a series one of the podcast focused on making the decision to become a solo mum. Series two is covering the process itself. Each week, I'll chat to a different guest to cover each step of the process of becoming a solo mum. Today's guest is Rosie Tadman, a nutritional therapist who studied at the prestigious College of Natural Medicine in London. Rosie has a home clinic in Manchester, but is currently seeing all of her clients online via Zoom. Rosie uses modern science and traditional wisdom to support women trying to conceive. I talked to Rosie about what you can do to best prepare yourself for the trying to conceive journey. Rosie, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, today's session is all about nutrition. So um, as we know, when you're on um, the fertility journey, we can feel really out of control because there's so many elements that aren't in our control. But personally for me, one thing I feel like we can be a bit more in control of is nutrition and what we put in our body. So um, it would be awesome to speak to you today a little bit about what people can do to help themselves on this topic. So before we get into the detail of that, do you want to just give yourself a bit of an introduction and, and what it is that you do? I would love to. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. So I'm Rosie. I'm a fertility nutritional therapist. So I work with couples who are trying to conceive naturally as well as solo mums and also couples who are trying to conceive through assisted routes. So that's me. Some short and sweet. <laughs> Perfect. And for those people who don't know much about this topic, give us a bit more detail about it. So fertility nutrition, so I work in the realms of naturopathy or functional medicine. So this is where it's around we can help you get your body back into balance through food, through supplements, through lifestyle recommendations, because when we're in balance, our body is amazing. And often we are living quite out of balance and this can leave us with things like lower egg quality, um, poor endometrial quality, struggling to ovulate, hormonal imbalances, all of these sorts of things. So working with someone like myself would really about getting all of kind of your body, your mind back into balance. So you've got great eggs, great endometrium, and um, just as fertile as possible. It's kind of, I support people to put their best foot forward, I suppose. Love it. So how would we know um, how healthy we are in that respect? Is there a way that, like, can I test to see how like, fertile I am from, from a health point of view? Or how, how do I know? So you would, so unfortunately, there's not a test to find out about your egg quality. Like that is just not available. You would only start to find out about your egg quality once you've gone through egg retrieval. And you start to see how many of those eggs go to blastocysts. So that's kind of the next step after fertilization. But I wish there was a test, like that would be an amazing test to have. There's only AMH, which is more around like how many eggs you've got left. And also there's some argument around that actually being fundamentally flawed as a measure anyway. Um, in terms of, I suppose, the guide that I use to look at a woman's general fertile health would be a menstrual cycle, would be a period would be just tracking with a simple measure 
like basal body temperature first thing in the morning. No, that doesn't tell us anything about egg quality, but it does give us a really good overview of your general hormonal health, what that looks like, and whether you are ovulating every month, which is a great indication of general, general fertile health. Um, so that is probably the best indicator we've got, as well as even looking at, I mean, I talk to every single woman who's come to me for fertility support around their period, like their actual physical period. And I know they're like, why, I did, why so many questions about the period? But you know, like there are, there is so much that we can learn, even just down to, you know, when women have periods that are one or two days long, that to me is a really good sign that potentially their estrogen's low. So then I would definitely want to get that tested, for instance. Um, so there are lots of clues that we have as women and you can really think of your period like our fifth kind of vital sign, like uh, kind of heart rate um, is another kind of vital sign. It's just as vital to our health, really. So you sort of like do some investigation, ask some questions, get an idea to let you know where you might need to do further investigation. Or exactly. Like it's very much kind of me looking for patterns in that initial consultation and starting to build a picture of where I think it's worth doing the kind of next steps of investigations. I mean, sometimes women have come to me and they've already had lots of investigations done and it's more around piecing those investigations together. So it depends kind of where the woman's at in their fertility journey. Um, but yes, that is definitely a big part of my role. And if people are at the beginning of their journey, they know that they're going to go through fertility treatment or they're going through it. When should someone see um, a fertility nutritionist? Like, should everyone see one or is it only certain people? Like, what, what would the sign be that you needed to see someone? Well, with, I think there should everyone see a fertility nutritional therapist, a really good question, because like with any modality, it's not for everyone for different reasons. One might be actually no interest in doing it. And that's a valid reason in itself. Like I always kind of talk to clients around what do you want to do? What do you feel you should do? And what do you need to do? And if they're like, I'm an actual fact, like, I know I need to do this, then okay, that's a valid reason. But if you feel you should but you don't really want to, then I'd question whether that's coming from the right place. And like nutrition isn't passive. You've got to put in the work yourself, so to speak. So I would say, first of all, don't, don't come and see me if you don't want to. <laughs> I think that's a valid reason. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and also I think there are people who naturally, intuitively are really, really well nourished. They're few and far between. But there are people, and I'm like, in actual fact, what would be the, the value for someone like that coming to see a nutritional therapist? I would say, and yeah, I would say potentially you could get the information you needed in something like, because I have got an online course, it's much cheaper than coming to see me face to face, something like that, rather than paying the money to come and see me one to one. Um, so yeah, there, no, I don't think everyone there is necessarily value in everyone coming to see a fertility nutritional therapist. So there's so much power in coming to see a fertility nutritional therapist. I, I support women with improving their egg quality. Um, so in terms of timing for coming to talk to me, if you're calling me a week before you're starting IVF, then or IUI or whatever it is, there's not a lot 
slash anything I can do to support you. you re we really need to be having that discussion three months prior at least because it takes three months for your eggs to mature. Um, so timing is really, really important. So I support clients with egg quality. I also support them with hormonal balance. So whether that's things like endometriosis, fibroids, um, polycystic ovary syndrome, which are they're all things that can also affect fertility, support people with managing their weight, because we know that whether you're underweight or overweight, that can also impact your fertility, and also supporting a lot of clients with their endometrial health. Um, so say if you, yeah, I think endometrial health, there are lots of things you can do to support even things like the microbiome, so the healthy bacteria of the endometrium, that is really exciting. It's a, yeah, a really exciting area of fertility. And um, we know that the health of an endometrium can improve chances of implanting and conception. And you said that you help people improve the quality of their eggs. So yeah. how much improvement do you believe we can make on our eggs? Good question. And um, because there's no, frustratingly, there's no measure of this quality aside from when they're graded in a clinic and you're not and I suppose I I have worked with clients where they've been through previous IVF right, rounds and they have been graded not not great eggs not great blastocysts and they've maybe even not got to that day three that day five and then we've done work and they've been amazing so anecdotally clinically I know but in terms of like placing a numerical figure on it it's really hard and I think that's often why the work that I do gets poo-pooed is because it's like well show me the double blind clinical trial that what you're doing improves egg quality and I'm like yes I'm still to get that funding approved to do that trial like never gonna happen um but we do know with research that there is definitely a correlation not a causal link, but a correlation between certain things and egg quality. So yes, we extrapolate that data and kind of overlay it so that we can use it in real life. Um, so yes, I know it works. How much, to what degree, I can't put a number on it. I wish I could. But you see it, you see the evidence in your clients in the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. yeah, anecdotally, on a one-to-one -one basis, I see, like, you know, just things like clinicians saying to women after they've had this low AMH, which is kind of seen in clinics as being this really important test that you have to have done, which doesn't actually impact whether you have a live birth or not, which I think we need to be really clear about that because often women get obsessed with a low AMH that doesn't impact a live birth, so why are we bothered about it? Um, and I know that I've, clinicians have spoken to my clients and said, I can't believe, and it's usually, I can't believe given your age, that your eggs um, have turned into such a high grade blastocyst, is often the kind of phrasing that is used. Wow. Um, yeah, so anecdotally, I know it's fantastic. And I wanted to pick up on what you said at the beginning that you've just referred to. So you said AMH is flawed as a measure. So is it because it's just measure, measuring quantity, not quality? I would question whether it even measures 
quantity. An anti-malarian hormone, that's what is testing this protein that we find in the follicles of our eggs. That's what it's supposedly, in inverted commas, testing. Because we can't, we don't think, current science says we can't make new eggs. We're born with all of our eggs and they decrease as we age. This protein that they're testing should only ever decrease because we're only ever going to lose eggs, thousands that kind of don't mature um, month by month. But again, anecdotally, I've seen that AMH increase. So then I'm questioning, well, what is it actually showing? That's so true because I've heard people also say they then made some changes and it increased, but yeah. actually that shouldn't be possible because no. it's not about quality, it's about the amount. No, and I know when I've spoken to doctors about that, their, I suppose, response is, well, there's always going to be some variation in the test. And I'm like, but there's some variation that it might be minute, but we're not talking about minute. We're talking about this is like vast changes. Like I've seen clients that have been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure. And then, I mean, it's taken time, but six months, 12 months later, their AMH is normal and they've no longer got this premature ovarian failure. And like that to me, if it's testing the right thing, like should not be possible. Mm, interesting. Um, so yeah, I would say like an antral follicle count where they actually scan the ovaries is more accurate. It's more expensive because it's not a simple, it's not such a simple test to do. Um, and also just the fact that if AMH doesn't impact live birth rates, why is it this gold standard? I think that's something to be questioned as well. I think some of the ladies that I see go in have an amh test and it basically at a certain point it's like should i have ivf with my own eggs mm -hmm. or is there really no point because my amh is not point something something mm -hmm. um but what you're saying is that's not the be all and end all no 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 interesting so if people get that low result, what would you recommend that they go and have the scan? I would say, yeah, go and have a scan, see how many follicles are there, because um, that is much more kind of accurate, in my opinion. And equally, I'd, I'd track your cycle. Because if you are actually approaching perimenopause, then typically you would not ovulate every cycle, and your cycles would become more irregular. And that's more of a sign that your fertility is going to take a drastic nosedive other than anything else. If you've had this low AMH, but your cycles are uh, regular, you're ovulating every month. I'm not saying you won't have to put in the work to improve that egg quality. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think AMH is hugely valuable. And so just um, to point people in the right direction, how do you go about tracking your cycle? So you can get a thermometer, as long as it's a two degree thermometer, so two decimal places after the point, then it's accurate enough to do your basal body temperature. You do it first thing in the morning before you get out of bed. It's only accurate if you roughly get up at the same time every morning, give or take an hour. Um, and then there are lots of apps or you can do it on paper 
So there's a, an amazing app that literally came out last month called Read My Body. And it's two pounds a month. So compared to say something like Natural Cycles, it's a tenth of the price. And you can really nuance it with other signs that are a sign of good fertile health, like cervical mucus. And I just think for two pounds a month, like why wouldn't you? You could get a thermometer for a tenner on Amazon. Um, if you are someone that is a shift worker, or you know you don't have a regular time in the morning that you get up, then there is something called OffiSense, which is an internal monitor that you wear throughout the night. But rather than spending £12, you're looking at £150. And women with PCOS, so polycystic ovary syndrome, can also use that device. And anyone that's on Clomid or Letrozole or any sort of ovulation med can also use that. So it's more expensive, but it's more sophisticated. And some women need that added sophistication given their individual circumstances. Whereas for some women, they don't need that additional sophistication. It's just a nice extra to have and why would I not just do the £12 option? Amazing. So top tip number one, track your cycle. Yeah. What other top tips have you got for people? Just general advice who are on this um, journey. I would say it's around nourishing your body with enough food as well as the right food. So often I see my job as supporting women to nourish their bodies without becoming neurotic. So, which is a hard balance for a lot of women, um, is that, because like you said at the start, like nutrition is something that can, you can control, uh, but in actual fact, I suppose like the way I try to frame it with clients is, this is something you can do to empower yourself, but how do we do that so it doesn't become, I'm literally watching every single thing that I eat and I'm worried that that biscuit I had yesterday is diminishing my quality. Um, so, but practical things would be make sure you're having lots of lovely, healthy fats. So for ages, we've been demonizing fats, but we know they're great. So whether that's egg yolks, avocados, olive oil, coconut oil, make sure you're having tons of veggies, eat the rainbow, it's basic, but brilliant. Make sure you're having some complex carbohydrates, make sure you're enjoying your food. I am a big fan of three meals a day. That is a really gentle, lovely form of intermittent fasting. That means you can get loads of nourishment in your body, but it also gives your body a chance to rest. Again, other boring things like make sure you drink enough water, make sure you're adding good quality salt to your food because that will mean you absorb the water. So again, good quality sea salt, rock salt, not table salt. Table salt's pure sodium and it's really mineral depleted whereas rock salt's got magnesium boron potassium all of these amazing minerals that were all really low on and i mean like salt i feel like salt and butter are like the gift that i'm giving you it's like that makes anything taste amazing salt and a bit of butter like getting seven portions so like a handful of veg with a bit of salt and a bit of butter all of a sudden seems a lot easier because it tastes insane rather than without that it's like meh, take it or leave it um so they would be my really basic simple things make sure you're taking good quality prenatal at least three months prior um so brands like seeking health cytoplan make sure you're taking an omega-3 um again basic but really really lovely thing to add in whether wild alaskan um does a lovely one uh, cytoplan does a vegan one if you are plant-based although that's that's um probably 
something else to talk about. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so just then on that, so um, with the supplements, lots of people um, discuss this on my Facebook group, which supplements mm -hmm. should I um, take? So I think some really great suggestions there. What is the reason? Can you explain to us why some are better than others? Yeah, so say like your typical Pregnacare type things, they've got binders, they've got fillers. So these are additional extras to stabilize the supplement so it sits on the boot shelf for years. Um, and they've also got often things like, I mean, Pregnacare is the one that we kind of hear about and know about. Um, it's got forms of nutrients that aren't that easy to absorb so for instance we often hear about folic acid as like kind of being like this is the holy grail of fertility nutrients whereas we actually know that we as humans absorb the natural form of folic acid which is folate so why are we taking the synthesized synthetic form of folic acid that we then in our bodies need to turn to folate with an enzyme so if we take folic acid, we need to then, it needs to go through some forms of reactions that we do in our body until we can actually physically use it. So why do we not just bypass that whole process, take the natural form, which is folate, and then our body doesn't need to do that whole process because not everybody's body can do that process, which some people, I mean, this is probably getting a bit too like niche, but some people have a genetic mutation called MTHFR, which means they can't turn folic acid into folate. So regardless of that, they're still more at risk of things like spina bifida because they can't convert it. So you probably won't know if you can convert it, so better to take yeah. one that doesn't need converting because then it doesn't matter if you can yeah. it or not. So if you have a choice, um, use one without the fillers and binders. Yeah with the, the folate rather than the yeah yeah Perfect. so like cytoplan is my often my go-to because it's still relatively inexpensive a month you're talking like 12 pounds um whereas there are other ones that are like the creme de la creme um but for 12 pounds i think yeah okay it's double what you would pay for one in boots but i think it is most people are willing to pay that so how far in advance you said that someone can't come to you like as they're starting um treatment really how far in advance do people need to start this three months three months, three months before egg retrieval okay and um is there then things that they should continue afterwards or is it just before definitely i mean I often, and one of the things I love about my job is niggles are off, often go. So whether it's this, this niggle of having thrush or whether it's this niggle of having bloating, whether it's this niggle of having kind of acne every time I'm on my period, whatever it is, they, once you actually start to get your body back into balance, subside. So naturally people want to carry on with their the way that they have been nourishing their body because it's like oh this feels great it might be with you know a few more slices of cakes and biscuits in there but by and large they're kind of still eating the way they were because it becomes a lifestyle and a habit and a lot of the work i do with clients is around language with food and this isn't about a transformation plan just to get them pregnant this is for them that will support them 
to get pregnant, which is, I think that simple change in language is important. Sometimes in the first trimester, it all goes out the window and, you know, it's back to crumpets and toast. I, I hear you. I remember, you know, going around Tesco, buying about 10 packets of salt on the new crisp. Got to do what you've got to do. But um, I'd say definitely continue with your prenatal, definitely continue with your Omega. Uh, your baby wants fats, proteins as well as you. Um, and also I'd say take magnesium as well. That's often something that we're lacking in and is really important when we're pregnant. My, um, my work colleague said to me that they knew I was pregnant, not because I wasn't drinking, um, because I had lots of times where I decided not to drink for different reasons, um, but because of what I was eating. They were like, I've never seen you with a plate of chips. And you had a plate of chips and a potato salad on one yeah. <laughs> was like, like there's double carbs going on all the beige food that i could get my hands on that's the only thing i could eat and i'm a vegetarian and mm. i couldn't eat vegetables like mm. they repulsed me for the first mm. few months so like yeah it is difficult if your body's telling you something in those first three months yeah. i remember walking to work eating salt and vinegar hula hoops for mm. breakfast mm. <laughs> like it was terrible um but my team were like what's going on with you what what are you eating and they said we, they were suspicious because of my diet had changed so much and i would say go like first trimester beige master like that's 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 the time to don't don't and i think often i get questions from well clients that have now graduated so to speak and become pregnant and they're like rosie I'm, is it all going to part i'm just living on hula hoops or chris and i'm like it doesn't work like that like you've nourished your body in such an amazing way like this is three months in the space of life like you will be able to like re replete your stores and in actual fact if and when women decide to breastfeed or not that's actually far more nutrient dependent than pregnancy. Right. So yeah, important to nourish in that time. And then a very common question I get asked is the alcohol question. Um, what's the advice on, um, so someone asked me the other day, you know, should I give up drinking? Should I cut down on drinking? Should I give up three months before, uh, a week before? Like what's your advice on alcohol? I would say any changes you're going to make that you want to see come into effect when you go for egg retrieval is always try and do it at least three months before. Yes, of course, one month is better than, like, than nothing. Uh, in terms of amount, to a certain degree, it depends on the person. Like there, there is evidence to say that going over like the government's recommended units could potentially affect your fertility. Anything less than that is more gray as to whether it affects your fertility. And when I say gray, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect your fertility at all. And it doesn't mean that it does. It means it's gray and we don't know. And I think don't know is frustrating for people because there isn't a black and white answer. I would always ask people what they felt that they could do and was actually realistic. Um, so if, so some people, you would say, you know, two glasses of wine on a Friday and a Saturday, that's realistic, that's doable. Other people, it might even be far above what the government recommends. Um, so what is the answer around alcohol? Definitely if you can, 
less than like the 14 units a week that the government recommend if and for me the kind of the if you can reduce that more that's not going to negatively impact your fertility that said if it is one of those things that it does a glass of wine on friday does bring you joy that is something you really look forward to it nourishes your soul then don't sweat that in terms of that really negatively impacting your egg quality if you're doing loads of other things to help it. And what about cigarettes? I mean, that is, the research is clear that that does negatively impact your fertility as well as vapes as well, which is the research is less clear because they're new, they're newer than cigarettes. Um, so like the oxidative stress, so that's the damage that something like smoking or alcohol can cause egg quality and even things like hormone metabolism is clear um, to what degree it depends on the individual. So ideally, yeah, quit smoking. I mean, you're, if you conceive, you're going to have to quit smoking and drinking alcohol at that point anyway. Um, well, you're not going to have to, but ideally you should. It would be highly recommended. It would be highly recommended. That's a good way to... Very diplomatic way to put it. I recommend it that you do. Have. And then you mentioned that you had an online course. So who is the course for and how can you access it? So you can find the course on my Instagram, on my website. So on Instagram, I'm Rosie Life Nutrition. My website is www.rosylife.org. And it's all on there. The course is it's £29, so it's a lower price tag than come to see me one-to-one. -one. And this is for women who want a taster, want to see whether fertility nutrition is for them. They've maybe not got anything complex like thyroid issues or um, endometriosis, polycystic ovaries. They just want to generally maximise their chances. And following general generic advice for them, might actually really, really work because there isn't anything underlying. So that would be who that online course was for, the curious and those people who just want to maximise their overall fertility but haven't got anything, yeah, really um, underlying. Although it does, re in one of the sections I talk about egg quality, how to improve that. I do talk about thyroid health, how to improve that, as well as things like endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. So it is very much kind of a smorgasbord for women. And um, it's kind of pick and choose the sections that work for you and don't bother if you don't want to, watching the bits that just don't kind of talk to you and aren't relevant. And I think because the audience is for solo mums here, I think there's just one section, is there yeah. one section on sperm health? Yes, yeah, so there's one section on sperm health. So obviously that isn't relevant. Um, but equally, there might be other sections that aren't relevant because looking at thyroid health might not be relevant. So that's what I kind of say in terms of like that smorgasbord of whether you're a solo mum or not, there's going to be things that you're like, oh, this is what I need. Like I know women, a few women from your community absolutely loved the weight loss section. And that for them was like, I've never heard weight loss being described like this and kind of going into it in detail rather than this kind of fat shaming way that we often hear about. Um, whereas other women are like, right, I did it for egg quality. I wanted to know the specific supplements you were going to mention so I could get them, basically. Um, so yeah, it's about four or five hours worth of content, but often I find that women probably find 50% of it really talks to them and the other 50% doesn't. 
Brilliant. And then if someone thinks that they need more specific targeted help on something, how would they best then um, work with you in that way? So again, contact me on Instagram, email me, have a look on my website, all of my details can be found. Before I work with anyone one-to-one, -one, we always have a discovery call. This is for me to get a bit of a background of the woman's kind of health history and also just to ensure that their expectations are aligned with what I can honestly say is, I think is possible. Um, so say that's when we can talk about timelines. So if it is the, oh, I'm starting in a week's time, that's when I might say, well, it's, there's, there's no, yeah, it's not going to be beneficial for you to spend the money. Happy uh, to work with you, but if you want it to help for that, it's not going to help. Sort exactly. Of yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, how long do you generally work with people for? It depends. I, I know a lot of my colleagues will just do three month packages because that's how long it takes for eggs to mature. I actually do offer initial consultations. You don't have to work with me within kind of this package format. Um, so, and again, that's what we'll talk about on the discovery call. So say if you're a woman that's done the e-course and you just want some more nuanced advice, say for endometrial health, because you know that's important and that's not something we talk about in the e-course, then that's not going to take three months unless there's something more kind of in-depth going on. Um, so yeah, it might just be a one-off or in actual fact, you might want to work on your relationship with food and do some like coaching around that as well, as well as you might have something more in depth that will take time to resolve. And then you do, we do work together for three months. Fantastic. And is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't <laughs> that you oh, want to do? That's a great closing question. No, I mean, something I'm just hugely passionate about and seeing lots of at the moment is just a lot of people are coming to me because they're confused and scared that they're eating the wrong foods and they're focusing on the wrong things. So I would just say focus on the big things that I've talked about and don't sweat things like is hand sanitizer affecting your fertility? Because that's something that I'm hearing a lot about given the times. Um, but no, I don't think there's nothing notable that I can think of. Fab. Well, thank you so much. It's really useful. I think people who are just starting out on this journey that want to give themselves the best possible chance, some really good tips and some really good signposting to places they can go if they want to know more. So thank you so much for taking the time, Rosie. Thank you. I've loved it. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Stalker Night podcast, I'd hugely appreciate if you rate, review and subscribe. I look forward to seeing you again next week. 